Hello and welcome to the UGA BCM podcast. This is a ministry of the UGA BCM on campus in Athens, Georgia. We're so excited that you've decided to tune in today. We hope you enjoy today's episode. Turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 11. We're going to look at verse 19 through verse 26 tonight. Acts chapter 11, verse 19 through verse 26. And as we uh, look at that, let me share with you what we're going to do this semester. This semester, we're going to ask ourselves the question, who is Jesus? And I'm excited about this because what we're going to do is we're going to actually look at a lot of passages from the Old Testament and see how that Jesus fulfilled prophecy, how that we know that Jesus was the Son of Man, how that we know he was the Son of God, that he was the Son of David. Uh, we're going to look at the fact that he was a suffering servant. We're going to go through all those different things. We're actually then, at the end of the semester, going to end up in Revelation as well and see what it says about Jesus. And, uh, and so we're going to spend this whole semester just answering the question of who is Jesus. If you're sitting in the room tonight and you came with a friend or you just came because we provided you a bunch of free food during Welcome Week and you're like, I owe it to these guys, or maybe you're just looking for community or to connect with somebody, but you really have questions about who is this Jesus guy uh, I want you to make sure that you make it a priority to be here on Monday nights because what you're going to find is that Jesus is more than just a historical figure, all right? And so we want you to be able to dive into that with us, and uh, I'm excited about this semester and what we're going to do. Now, tonight's going to be a little bit different, though, because I want to set the stage not just for what we're going to do this next semester, but even a little bit for what we're going to do in the spring, and I want you to understand why we exist as a ministry. I believe it's important for you to know why we do what we do. And so we're going to look tonight at Acts chapter 11. This is the first place that we see Christians called Christians in Antioch and, and ultimately lay out for you why we exist as a BCM, why we do what we do, one of these vision-casting sermons, if that makes sense, all right? And so with that in mind, we're going to begin reading in Acts chapter 11, starting in verse 19. So then those who were scattered because of the persecution that occurred in connection with Stephen made their way to Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch speaking the word to no one except to the Jews alone. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. The news about them reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas off to Antioch. Then when he arrived and witnessed the grace of God, he rejoiced and began to encourage them all with resolute heart to remain true to the Lord. For he was a good man and full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And considerable numbers were brought to the Lord. And he left for Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for an entire year, they met with the church and taught considerable numbers. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. Let's pray. Lord, we ask you today to be with us as we dive into this word. And, how, and Lord, be with us tonight as we discuss why it is that we do what we do. Help us to take an example from where we see the believers first being called Christians there in the town of Antioch and help us to build a bridge to today and apply this text to us and ask ourselves the questions, why do we do what we do and what should we do to begin with? And Lord, help us in that to find our mission and our vision as a campus ministry. So Lord, we love you and we praise you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So as you look at this text, you've got to understand what's taking place here in Acts. The, the, the gospel is spreading like wildfire, all right? And before chapter 11, uh, we read about uh, uh, Saul, uh, his conversion experience, you know, the guy that becomes Paul, right? Y'all heard of that guy before, right? And, and we also read about this cr crazy incident where Peter uh, has this vision from heaven, and he's told not to call things uh, unclean, which God called clean, and then he goes to this guy's house, 
who's a Gentile, and before that, the gospel had only been for the Jews. And so what's taken place leading up to this is Stephen's been stoned uh, for proclaiming the gospel, preaching the gospel. Uh, Saul has been converted. Uh, later, he gets his name changed to Paul when who he's doing ministry to changes. And then we also see that shortly before this, Peter is told that, hey, it's okay to share the gospel with the Gentiles. And also, that would be anybody that's not a Jew, right? And then also what happens is is people begin to question Peter about it. And Peter says, no, I know that this was real because I saw the Holy Spirit work in these guys' lives, okay? And so that brings us to chapter 11. And so we've got Christians, uh, mostly Jews, but some who were Gentiles already, who were spread all over the place. The reason they're spread all over the place is because what church history tells us and, and what the Bible tells us is that the church started in Jerusalem. And the church was really just doing amazing things in Jerusalem. You had the day of Pentecost that occurred and all this good stuff. And so you had thousands upon thousands of people coming to know Christ as Lord and Savior. But it was viewed as a danger to the culture there and to the, 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 the normal everyday setup of life. And so persecution began to occur, particularly from the Jewish church and so, uh, or the, the Jewish people. And so we find there that folks were dying for their faith, including Stephen. And so as persecution got bigger and greater, people fled. They had to. They had to leave because otherwise they're going to be killed. And so in chapter 11, what we find is that there's a group of Christians who have found their way to Antioch. They're not called Christians yet. They're, they're just following the way. That's what they're doing. They're following this guy, Jesus. And they're, 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 there's been all these miracles that are performed, all kinds of crazy stuff. And so here we find them in Antioch. And so as we ask ourselves the question today, why do we do what we do I don't know that there's any greater place to look for an example of why we do what we do than the place where, A, they're first called Christians, and the place, B, that we see God working within the New Testament church. And so that's why we land here in chapter 11. And so to answer this question today, we're going to find out what were they doing? What were they doing? Who were these people? They were the persecuted followers of Christ. They show up in this town. They're spread all over the place. Stephen's been stoned. And as they are going about in their lives, they're still sharing the gospel. They're still living missional. They're still leveraging their lives for the gospel of Jesus Christ. But there's something really cool that happens here in Antioch. So the first thing I want you to see out of this passage tonight is that they were connecting others to Christ. They were connecting others to Christ. Verse 21, or 20 and 21 says, But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks also. And then notice what it says, preaching the Lord Jesus. In verse 21 it says, The hand of the Lord was with them, and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. If you go to verse 24, it says this, For he was a good man, talking about Barnabas, and full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And notice what it says, And considerable numbers were brought to the Lord. We see a move of the Lord in this place. We see a move of the Holy Spirit in this place. And it was because what they were doing first and primarily is that they were sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. They were interacting with these Greeks that lived in Antioch and they were telling them, this guy Jesus, people followed him and he taught them and he performed all these miracles. And then he was taken and he was treated as a criminal and he was hung on a cross. And we thought he had died. But then three days later, he rose from the grave. And not only did he raise from the grave, but he began to appear to many of us. And it tells us that as they preached the gospel, a considerable amount of the people in Antioch turned to the Lord. So number one, they connected them to Christ. Secondly, not only did they connect others to Christ, but what we see happening here in Antioch before they were called Christians 
is that they connected others to community. They connected others to community. Verse 23 says this. It says, Then when he arrived and witnessed the grace of God, he rejoiced and began to encourage them all with resolute heart to remain true to the Lord. If you go down to verse 26, it says this. It says um, that and for an entire year they met with the church and taught considerable numbers, and the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. So what happens is, is that Barnabas shows up and encourages the people. And then, not only is he encouraging them, but he's sharing with them the gospel. Folks are getting saved. And so Barnabas realizes he needs help. And so he goes back and he gets Saul of Tarsus, the guy that we know later as Paul, that wrote, you know, basically half of the New Testament. And he brings him back. And they begin to teach more. And it says there that they met for a considerable time together as the church. And ultimately what we find is, is that there was encouragement going on and there was teaching going on. I want to say that again. There was encouragement going on. That's building up of other believers in Christ. And there was teaching going on. Kind of sounds like a small group, doesn't it? Right? Kind of sounds like some Sunday school class you may have been a part of when you were a teenager, right? Kind of sounds like some group that you're probably all searching for right now. Hopefully you are searching for right now. If you're not searching for that community right now, you should be searching for that community right now. Because we see this growth take place because it took guys like Barnabas and Saul who recognized a need, who showed up on the scene and said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to spend time together. We're going to encourage one another. We're going to hold one another accountable. And we're going to teach one another what the gospel is and what the gospel says and how it impacts our life. And so we see that they connected people to Christ. We see that they connected people to community. Not only that, but then we see thirdly, you're like, man, you're going fast. Well, I'm going fast because we're going to draw, build a bridge in a minute and it's going to all apply to us, okay? All right, thirdly, guess what they did? They connected people to the church. They connected people to the church. Notice the, one of the first things that happens is that this revival basically breaks out here in Antioch. All these folks start getting saved and it says that word reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem. It was the church at Jerusalem that sent Barnabas to them. Right? So this wasn't just, like, think about this for just a second. Have any of you guys ever been on a mission trip somewhere? Anybody? Right? Okay, when you went on a mission trip somewhere, you guys that went with us last spring, on spring break, to Guatemala, who did we connect with in Takana, Guatemala? A what? A church. Right? Good answer, Kylie. A church. You know why we connected with a church? Because, listen, you can show up in a community, and you can share with them the gospel, and you can talk to them about what it means to be a believer, and you can see folks get saved, and then you can dip out of town, and boom, now what happens? Right? Now what happens? You know, just a minute ago, I said that they connected them to community. Really what that image of community is, it's the image of discipleship. Right? Discipleship is more than a Bible study. Discipleship is doing life together. Discipleship is encouraging one another. Discipleship is holding each other accountable. Discipleship is digging into God's word, but it's not just digging into God's word. It's digging into God's word together in community and then that impacting the way you live that out. That's discipleship. I would also add that all true discipleship ends in evangelism. All true discipleship ends with the gospel being spread. Matter of fact, we heard a guy named Paul Worcester, who's one of the greatest campus ministers in the United States of America. That's the truth. It's unbelievable the work that he's done out west. 
And uh, now he gets to live in Hawaii. Isn't that nice, right? Suffering for Jesus out there. But anyways, Paul works for the North American Mission Board now. And he's over the collegiate ministry department for the North American Mission Board. And, and what Paul says is this. And I love this phrase. He says, discipleship that doesn't end in evangelism is just simply recycleship. You get that? Right? It's just a bunch of Christians sitting around singing Kumbaya together, right? Having the latest, greatest theological conversation about what one of them read on a blog somewhere. Or on social media somewhere. So we see that real discipleship happens within the context of community. But what we also see in this text, and it, and it, and it proves itself all throughout, particularly the book of Acts and the rest of the New Testament, is this is that within the New Testament church, discipleship always happens within the context of the local church. Discipleship always happens within the context of the local church. I want to say that again. Discipleship in the New Testament always happens within the context of the local church. As a campus minister, with a campus ministry, that has a bunch of discipleship small groups called dog packs, I'm telling you, discipleship in the New Testament always happens within the context of the local church. Here's why I'm telling you that. A campus ministry whose ultimate goal is not to connect students to the local church is a campus ministry that you could run, should run as far away from as you possibly can. Because discipleship in the New Testament always happens within the context of the local church. Does that make sense? Now, I'm not saying that there's not a place for what we do on campus. You 100% better believe there is. Tonight is proof of the fact that there's a place for what we do on campus. 100%. But the bottom line is, is that what we see in Antioch is not some crazy move of the Spirit in which all these folks get saved and they start meeting in a parachurch group. That's not what happens. The church in Jerusalem sends folks to them, and by the time you get to verse 26, guess what they're called in Antioch? A church. Do you see that? A church. So, A, they connected them to Christ. B, they connected them to community. C, they connected them to the church. D, they connected others to their calling. They connected others to their calling. In verse 23, at the very end of verse 23, notice what it says. It says, Barnabas is, uh, is encouraging them with all resolute, or them all with resolute heart. Notice what he says. To do what? To remain true to the Lord. You realize that's all of your call. If you know Christ as Lord and Savior, you've given your heart and life to Jesus. If there's been a point in your life where the Holy Spirit has convicted you of your sin, and you've realized that Jesus is who he said he is and did what he said he did, and you've put your faith and trust in him, his greatest desire for you in your life is not success. His greatest desire for you in your life is not fulfillment. His greatest desire for you in your life is service, sacrifice, and faithfulness, which comes from remaining true to him. That's your greatest calling. And that's what Barnabas was encouraging them to do. What's also unique in here is you see an example of two guys who were following their callings because it's the church in Jerusalem that sends Barnabas. They mobilized him. Y'all like that word, mobilized? You'll hear me use it a lot. And then secondly, Barnabas does what? 
Saul, a fairly new convert, a fairly new Christian, Saul, he, he, Paul, or Barnabas goes, man, I need some help. And so what does he do? He goes and he gets Saul and brings him back and he mobilizes him. He helps him to understand and develop his calling. Now, why do I tell you all of that? Because this is why we do what we do as a campus ministry. It's right here. This is why we do what we do as a campus ministry. If you want to know what the BCM is, I just shared it with you. We are not a church. We are not a church. But we're also not a parachurch organization in the sense that we're not a private individual organization on campus. A lot of campus ministries are started by individual guys. They're not connected to a specific church, etc. We are. Um, BCM means Baptist Collegiate Ministries. What does that mean? That simply means that we have folks at the state level who invest a lot of money into us being able to be here. And we have churches at the local level, four of which you prayed about, that partner with us, some strategically, some from a monetary standpoint as well, to do ministry on this campus. So we become an extension of the local church. Does that make sense? Which is why we exist for these four reasons. Look them up there. Here we go. Come on. There we go. To connect college students to Christ, community, the church, and your calling. That's why we're here. Now, why do I tell you that? I tell you that for two reasons. Number one, we need students who are going to buy into doing this to be a part of our ministry. It's what we need. We don't need students who are just looking for an experience on a Monday night. I'm being honest. We don't. Now, if that's where it starts, we can start there, okay? But we need students who understand that if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then he is calling all of us who are believers to do these things, to connect our peers, those that we come in contact with, in your case, college students, to Christ. How do we do that? Well, we have tons of campus outreach opportunities. We got something that we call two-by-two evangelism that's starting next Wednesday and Thursday. We're doing trainings here next Wednesday and Thursday, and then the week after Labor Day, we literally send people out to eat lunch at the dining halls and at Tate and uh, literally to strike up conversations and to meet individuals, and we truly are doing it to meet people. We truly are doing it because we want to make friends on campus, but we're also doing it intentionally because we want to be able to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with this campus. We partner with things like Great Exchange. It's a survey that we do on campus where, it's, uh, where it, we, we basically, uh, outside of Tate, will ask people if they'll take a few minutes to take a survey with us. And, and so we share with them who Christ is through that. The other thing is, is that we encourage our leadership and our students to participate in what we call gospel appointments. If you guys have had lunch with me or coffee with me up to this point, you know that unless I previously knew you, I asked every single one of you, whether you told me you came from a church or not, I asked you, tell me your story. Some of you guys know that because I've, I've, I've had lunch with you the last few days. Why? Because I wanted to know, did you know Christ as your Lord and Savior? And if you didn't, I was going to take that opportunity to share with you what it meant to be a believer. The Great Commission tells us to, to do exactly that. That's what it tells us. And so we are missionaries on this campus. We are not a church. It's not what we are. If anything, we're a missionary outpost on this campus. If you love Jesus, then you're also called to love others. And the most 
harmful and hateful thing you can ever do to somebody else is not to share with them the truth of God's word about the fact that they need Jesus. And so we exist to connect students to Christ. The second reason is to connect, connect students to community. We, we've talked about dog packs. You've heard that. It, well, I don't know if you've heard that yet. We're going to talk about it a lot. If you've come to any of our events, you probably went to a table, you've heard about it. There's cards sitting right in your chairs where you can QR code our dog packs. Here's the cool thing about our dog packs. Yes, they are community groups. They are small groups. Yes, we dive into the word. Yes, we do life together. And we've got some of those that are strategically targeted towards freshmen. And we've got others that are strategically targeted towards upperclassmen. But I've got to be honest with you, the ones that we have that we call our classic dog packs that are for upperclassmen, those are actually more so for students that may be serving in small churches and other places that don't have strategic discipleship ministries as a part of that church. Because we want that dog pack to be an entry point for you into discipleship. Because ultimately our goal is also to connect you to the local church. That is our goal. We are unapologetically about connecting you to the local church. If you come in as a freshman and you love what we do and you have all this fun time doing what we do and you become a part of our leadership and you go through that process, man, that is amazing and that is awesome. But understand, ultimately, if you come through this process and you end up as a junior and senior serving on staff somewhere at one of our churches in town or being so plugged in and involved that we don't see you as much when you're a junior and senior, that's actually a win for us. Because what we do here is for a short period of time and the church is for your lifetime. The church is for your lifetime. Now, it does help your church that if you're serving in the church that you still come be a part of what we are and what we do because remember that first one, we exist to connect college students to Christ so we can become a missions outpost on this campus for you so that we can make a difference in the lives of the folks that you're in class with every day. Does that make sense? Because it is true that you probably got an easier time bringing them here first than you do to a local church. And we understand that, especially if they're freshmen, don't have cars and all those kind of things. And then finally, we exist to, to connect you to your calling. To connect you to your calling. Guys, one of the greatest things that I've experienced in my life in college ministry, I realized this past year. I was asked to speak at a local church where I used to serve as the college pastor. They were going during, uh, in the midst of a transition without a pastor, and so they had called the Georgia Baptist Mission Board, and I'm technically a state missionary for them, and uh, they had called them, and, and they were lining up different pastors and preachers throughout that period of time during that transition, so they asked me to come and preach. And I got to thank that church, and one of the reasons I got to thank that church was, one, they pour into us like crazy as a BCM, but two, is because I, I talked to the church about how that they had held their college students and their young adults with an open hand. And what I meant by that was, is that I had done the math that week, and I had realized that on that particular Sunday morning that I was preaching there, there were, it was either nine or ten, I should have wrote this down in my notes, I know I was going to talk about it, and I didn't write the number down, it was either nine or ten students, former students, who had been a part of that church within the previous five years, who were now serving in some sort of paid capacity in another church around the state of Georgia. There are many of you that are sitting in here tonight who you know already that God's called you into ministry. There are many of you that are sitting in here tonight and it scares you to death, but you know already that God's called you into missions. You know that. There are others of you that are sitting here tonight and you know that God's called you to be an elementary school teacher. And others of you that you're not sure what God's called you to do, but you just want to make a whole lot of money doing it. Right? Okay? And so our job, our job, 
whether that's through our leadership pipeline that we create, whether that's through um, us, us giving you opportunities to serve, whether that's us through helping you get connected to a local church to serve in some vocational capacity, or whether that's taking you on mission trips over the summer or over spring break. Our job is to help you figure out what it is that God wants you to do in your life. That's our job. Now, why do I tell you all that? Because here's what I truly believe. Every good Christian college student needs a strong Bible-believing and Bible-teaching and preaching local church. And every good Christian college student also needs a campus ministry that will help to mobilize them, help to hold them accountable, and help to teach them how to leverage their life for the gospel of Jesus Christ no matter where that ends up being. Because your community right now, your village per se right now, is right here, isn't it? And so one day, if you are making millions of dollars and working in the stock market, right, when it's going well, right, then guess what? We need you to understand that not only are you supposed to make millions of dollars and then tithe on it to the local church, the pastors will like that I said that, right? All right, but what you're also supposed to do is guess what? Leverage that influence you have with those peers around you to point them back to who Christ is, i.e. the first thing we exist to connect people to who? Christ. Christ. I don't really know how to do an invitation tonight. We always give people a chance to respond. Right? I don't know how to do that. This is not a sales pitch for the BCM. This is literally, whether you end up here or somewhere else, you need to do these things. Does that make sense? Okay? And if you end up somewhere else that doesn't emphasize these things, well, then run far away from there. And then come talk to me, and I'll tell you about churches and campus ministries around here that do those things. And I'll help you find one, even if it's not here, okay? Now, Here's where I do want to close this thing, though. Number one, if you're sitting here and you came to the University of Georgia and you know Jesus is your Lord and Savior, maybe you were saved when you were a little kid, maybe you were saved last year as a senior in high school, maybe you're a transfer student you came to us from some other campus ministry on another campus somewhere, I want you to hear me and I want you to hear me closely. God is calling you to fulfill this mission in your life. He is. He is calling you to connect others to Christ. He is calling you to be a part of a community in which you can grow together and, and, and serve together and minister together. He is calling you to be an active, healthy member of a local body of believers, a church. And he is calling you to figure out yourself what it is that God wants you to do and also to help mobilize others to do the same. And so here's the thing. I, I said I don't know how to end this. It's coming to me. Here we go. All right. Thank you, Lord. Uh, <laughs> I was just going to pray and walk off. Um, <laughs> here's the thing. You may be sitting here and you may know, man, I just came on this campus and God has, has called me and I know to go into ministry to missions. But I got this major and my parents are really excited about it. Maybe tonight what you need to do is Say, God, whatever it is I think you've called me to do on this campus right now, whatever it is I think I'm going to do for the next four years of my life, whatever it is I think I'm going to do for this last year of me being here, or how many years you got left, maybe what you need to do is say, God, tonight I'm going to hold that with an open hand. And God, if you want to take that from me, I'm going to let you take it from me.
God, if you want to let me keep it, hey, I'll keep it. That'll make me real happy. But whatever it is you put in my hand or allow to be in my hand, God, what I'm going to do is I'm going to make sure that I'm doing these things. So for you that are in here tonight and you know Christ is your Lord and Savior, that's my encouragement to you. Secondly, if you're in here tonight and you've never given your heart and life to Jesus Christ, I literally just talked about the fact that our purpose starts with what? Connecting others to Christ. You know what the Bible tells us? The Bible tells us that every single one of us have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. And that's really a shame because the truth of the matter is is that God desires a relationship with us. The truth of the matter is is if you go all the way back to the Garden of Eden, God created this earth, he created us, and he said, it's good. That's what he said. And then we blew it. So I didn't blew it. Blow it, Adam did. Okay, well, you know what? We live with the consequences of that every day for the rest of our life. Not only are you and I sinful, not only do you and I mess up and displease God, but we even live in a world that is broken. That's why the Bible tells us back in Genesis that after sin came into the world, that man would have to toil just to grow plants. So next time you go out there and you're having to work in your yard because your dad made you do it, think about that, right? But here's the truth. The truth is, is that while our sin separates us from God, and if we were to die today, that separation would be for all of eternity. That was not God's desire. And so God sent his son, Jesus, to die for us. He lived a perfect, sinless life. Completely human, but yet completely God. He had to be completely human and completely God. He had to be completely God because he had to be a perfect, sinless sacrifice. Otherwise, he wouldn't have met the requirements of the law in the Old Testament. But not only that, but he had to be completely human because he had to take on your wrath and my wrath. And so he did. And the Bible tells us that three days later, he rose from the grave. Why is that important? It's important because, listen, him raising from the grave tells us that if we will put our faith and trust in him, that we can have victory over sin and over death. See, the same Bible that tells us the wages, or excuse me, that we've all fallen short of the glory of God, that Bible also tells us in Romans, the wages of our sin is death. And then it says this, but... The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's what it says. Jesus died for us. Hanging between heaven and hell. Placed in a grave. Rose three days later. So that you and I could be placed back in right standing with God. Not based upon our own merit. Not based upon anything we do. Not based upon our goodness or even our godliness but only based upon the fact that Jesus Christ was the ultimate sacrifice for you and for me. And when his blood shed, it covered every sin we ever have committed and every sin we ever will commit if we'll put our faith and trust in him. So here's the deal. If you're sitting here tonight and you've never given your heart and life to Jesus Christ, how can you connect to Christ? How can you be forgiven of your brokenness? 
How can you know that one day when something does happen to you, that you'll spend eternity with him in heaven? Well, what the Bible tells us is that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. The Bible tells us with the heart we believe to righteousness, placed back in right standing with God, and with the mouth confession is made to salvation. So I want you to bow your heads, close your eyes right where you're at. If you're here today and you've never given your heart and life to Jesus Christ, and right now in this moment, you want to become a believer, you want to be saved, you want to become a follower of him, pick whatever phrase you want to, want to pick. If you want to be forgiven of your sin and be made back in right standing with God, never to be separated again, then right where you're at, why don't you call on his name? You say, Tommy, how do I do that? Talk to him just like you would talk to me. Right within your own heart, right now. Just call on him. Tell him, say, Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. Jesus, I know you died for me. I believe that. I don't want to be separated from you. God, I know you desire a relationship with me. I desire one with you too. You don't have to say it in those words. Communicate that to him as, as just an outpouring of what's in your heart. And just ask him to forgive you. Ask him to save you. Let him know that today is the beginning of a journey in your life where you're going to follow him and make him Lord of your life. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode. If you'd like more information about us, please visit our Instagram page at UGABCM or visit us on our website at UGABCM.org. We hope you enjoyed today's episode.